So the first thing I would like to share with you um, is reminding everyone that our relocation of the nursery has indeed happened. I know some of you have already seen that and taken advantage of that, but uh, it is lovely, actually. There's a beautiful energy in there, and uh, Aiden and Heather, who are doing childcare, make a very, very warm welcome in a very cozy space for our littlest parishioners. So check it out if you do get a chance. The other thing I'd like to say before I dive into this whatever you want to call it. Um, I make reference to the word stupid in here, and I want to let you know I'm only using it in reference to myself. That's the only way I like to use it, and sometimes it is absolutely warranted. And there have been three times in the last 10 years when I was flat out stupid stupid regarding my health. Um, each time involved a visit to the emergency room. The first involved me having a 102 degree temperature and an abscess in my throat. <laughs> the second involved phantom chest pains that thankfully turned out to be an entirely false alarm. And the third was last week when after driving nine hours from Washington, D.C. to Cambridge, I discovered that the slight soreness in my left hip had become total immobility of my left leg. Once home, I managed to hop from my car up to my apartment on one leg, carrying all of my luggage and my dog's luggage, with Olive trailing behind me on a leash. The real moment of reckoning happened when I was unable to get up from the bed where I had pretty much collapsed. Now, I wasn't entirely stupid. I had spoken from the road with a friend of mine about my condition that I knew was worsening. But it wasn't until I realized that I couldn't actually navigate myself off my bed without screaming, tear-inducing convulsions of pain that I might actually be in some real trouble. Then I thought about the fact that the pain I could be having might be something like a blood clot, and I scared myself into actually going to the ER. So, of course, rather than calling that friend, or any of the people who I have on the short list of folks to reach out to in an emergency, including people in this room, and instead of calling 911, I gritted my teeth, steeled myself as only someone raised in New England could, <laughs> rolled painfully off my bed, clawed up the wall, and then hopped down to my car and drove myself to Mount Auburn Hospital. Stupid. <laughs> Once at the hospital, along the way to discovering it wasn't a clot, we were able to determine that my hip wasn't broken. That's a good thing. I did, however, receive a rather bizarre diagnosis of having some kind of latent nerve impingement that I wasn't buying. But I had primarily come to the hospital to rule out a catastrophe and to get some relief. 
So after receiving strong IV Motrin and a prescription strength lidocaine patch, as well as a referral to a sports doctor, I hobbled home. Olive, my dog, looked at me as I came in the door with what can only be described as full doggy pity. <laughs> my pain is her pain. She was a great comfort, even if she couldn't drive me to the ER. The next day, I saw the doctor who agreed with what I had come to me in the middle of the night, that this actually was a chronic bursitis brought on by <laughs> performing a full hour of double sow cow jumps while figure skating last week. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> so much for 50 is the new 25. <laughs> a nice deep steroid injection and I was on my way. So I share this with you, not to alarm you, but to remind you that I am woefully human, not to mention almost comically male in the solidly defiant way I sometimes navigate my world. The combination of these qualities forgets what real pain is and how it can literally shred everything in your world to pieces. Last week, was a reminder to me of what some people face every single day, as well as a reminder of my own vulnerability. It was also a reminder about faith. Sometimes I think of Unitarian Universalist ministry as the spiritual expression of the good life, fair-weather faith that's big on intellect and big ideas, sometimes at the cost of small but essential emotions and intimate needs. We like our lectures and our treatises and fancy words. We like to take intricate notes and ponder the possibilities to counter injustice in the world. But what is our answer to debilitating personal and immediate pain? How do we respond to catastrophic and sudden loss? What does our faith tell us to do with tears? I was not really thinking a lot about my inherent worth and dignity when I was hopping in excruciating pain to my apartment arms laden and incidentally really, really needing to use the toilet. I wanted and needed relief. I prayed for relief. And I didn't pray to William Ellery Channing. <laughs> Hear these words of, from the Buddha. When touched with a feeling of pain, the ordinary, uninstructed person's sorrows, grieves, and laments, beats his breast, becomes distraught, so he feels two pains, physical and mental. Just as if they were to shoot a man with an arrow and right afterward were to shoot him with another one so that he would feel the pains of two arrows. I'm not going to go into a full dissertation on how other faith traditions regard pain and suffering because that would actually defeat the purpose of what I want you to take away from today. 
but I will remind us of a few directions that other cultures have explored in seeking relief from pain through spirituality. Buddhists have the Four Noble Truths, which center around the way humans navigate suffering. There is first the acknowledgement of suffering, then the recognition of the origin of suffering, then the end of suffering, and the acknowledgement of the path to the end of that suffering, Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble Truths contain great clarity and a powerful platform from which to understand pain and suffering. Then there is guidance in Hinduism, which gives context to pain and suffering. Through the different traditions of Hinduism, there is a constant resolve to the inescapable nature of suffering and to addressing the imbalances that lead to it, imbalances in mind, body, spirit, relation to existence and to the divine. In some of these teachings, there is a strong emphasis on how desire and attachment breeds suffering, but also how a lack of faith leaves one with nothing but suffering. The Abrahamic traditions, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, tell countless stories of kings, prophets, slaves, and beggars alike suffering and how their pain leads to enlightenment for them and for their followers. But there are also stories of miraculous healing and repair with a strong emphasis on how that repair can be represented and even guided by the repair in right relationship with God. With so many faith traditions pointing different ways toward different options of ways to deal with or at least attempt to understand pain, I marvel that we super-enlightened Unitarian Universalists don't have more explicit and pointed language about pain and suffering. Although we can learn from other traditions, we have no real right to adapt or worse, co-opt the practices. We cannot be satisfied with looking to other traditions like some people will go to Mexico or Canada to get their health care and medications. We must cultivate our homegrown recipes for healing, managing and acknowledging pain. Maybe the late Reverend Dr. Forrest Church was onto something with these words from his essay, Love and Death. He says, yet how do we respond when we get a terminal sentence? Far too often with, what did I do to deserve this? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing, the answer is. Nothing. Against unimaginable odds, we have been given something that we didn't deserve at all, the gift of life, with death as our birthright. He goes on to say that unless we armor our hearts, we cannot protect ourselves from loss. We can only protect ourselves from the death of love. 
yet without love nothing matters. Break your life into a million pieces and ask yourself what any, what of any real value might endure after you are gone. The pieces that remain will each carry love's signature. Without love, we are left only with the aching hollow of regret, that haunting emptiness where love might have been. When I read these words, I'm reminded of what I believe sits behind our calls to action. He doesn't say it outright, but church points towards something that I have and will continue to harp on for the rest of this year, and likely for as long as I serve this community. Unitarian Universalism, a name that literally says one for all, calls us to be the church of the radical we. Our faith in collective humanity writ large, our commitment to equity in society and in personal relations and in the things that we don't do enough of, though I suspect we secretly yearn for it, the return to and the reminder of our shared embodied experience. In so many ways, Unitarian Universalism literally says that we are one for all, one humanity comprised of all of its variants in shape, size, color, age, ability, perception, and first and foremost, our mortal humanity that we are born and that we die. This is what brings us together the need to share that knowledge in community. More importantly, our commitment to the mosaic of humanity is what we can bring to the one-on-one -on -one experience of comfort and compassion. The lucid gaze, the confident yet consensual embrace, the warmth in the touch that tells the other being, I see you as a whole and complete being of magical, divine love. You are not, nor will you, nor can you ever truly be alone in this world. We can answer pain and suffering with the unflinching commitment and message of radical we-ness. Certainly, we continue to learn and struggle with this as we let go of all the ways that we've learned to prioritize I, especially in our personal and cultural defensiveness or entitlement or just plain ignorance about what we are as beings. But Unitarian, one, Universalist for all. The Greater Boston Interfaith Organization is moving forward with an ambitious agenda to improve access to health care in this state. And I'll say more about this in the announcements. But I want you to consider my message today as you choose to show up in that work and all we do as a community. There are many people who can and will knock on doors, make phone calls, take meetings, and sign petitions. 
but you, as Unitarian Universalists, are the only ones who can show up every day with a theology of equity. Ours is a commitment to the lived human experience and an expression of spirituality or faith or community, as you may call it, that says the most important thing that we can do as people is share this existence with each other, to be aware that our pain is always universal. The suffering in Texas today is suffering in this room, and our faith gives us the tools to hold each other as tight as we can, yet still with an open hand. This is the saving message of Unitarian Universalism, one for all. That is our gift, and the next time I'm in desperate pain, <laughs> I will remember that I belong to a community that will always be happy to take me wherever I need to go for healing because I know your spiritual grounding lets you love my humanity as much as you love your own. We can change this world. Blessed be.